Welcome to the PA Books podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. While the focus is always on Pennsylvania, topics like the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Gettysburg, the Industrial Revolution, the coal and steel industries, and authors like John Updike, David McCullough, and John Grogan have a universal appeal. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, the author of Camp William Penn, Donald Scott. Donald Scott, author of Camp William Penn, America's First Federal African-American Soldiers Fight for Freedom. Why'd you write the book? Well, I was very inspired uh, after covering uh, the topic for, I believe it was the Philadelphia Enquirer some years ago. So I was assigned to actually cover a Memorial Day parade and uh, circulating and talking to people in the crowd I eventually found out that there was a civil war camp primarily consisting of almost 11,000 black soldiers during the Civil War, and they were federal soldiers. I got back to the newsroom, of course I wrote the story, but I kept in contact with some of the people I met in that community of Lamont. Uh, primarily the individual was a guy named Perry Triplett. So he had been uh, more or less a community activist in the area who found an organization called Kroll, Citizens for the Restoration of Historic Lamont. And over the years, they pushed uh, for various uh, levels of recognition on the state and national level, some of which they were able to achieve. I, over the years, also realized that there had been very little written about Camp William Penn in local history books, statewide, and even national. So I began to write about Camp William Penn as I moved uh, from to other newspapers, uh, as I began to focus more on history writing, and eventually it turned into my first book in 2008. Where is Lamont? Lamont is actually northwest of Philadelphia, just northwest of Philadelphia, across Sheltonham Avenue. Uh, it is in Sheltonham Township, uh, and it would be uh, the lower uh, section of Sheltonham Township where Broad and Sheltonham meet, the northwest side. What's there now? Actually, the community of Lamont consists of a pretty uh, well-integrated neighborhood. Uh, originally, uh, there were Irish immigrants and African Americans who worked in the huge mansions in the community. Now, there are still remnants of mansions there, such as the Widener Estate and the Elkins Estate. Um. If you walked, your book has on it uh, Camp William Penn, 1863 to 1865. If you walked into Camp William Penn in 1863, 1864, what would you have seen? In 1863, when the camp initially opened, you would have seen 
probably uh, countless tents. And the tents were set up more or less along uh, small streets, if you may. Uh, so there would have been a lot of uh, white tents of various sizes, uh, some larger for officers. But quickly, uh, wooden barracks and other buildings rose so that eventually it was like a small city. So you actually had uh, a hospital. Uh, you had a place where uh, people uh, were held in a brig. Uh, so there were all sorts of uh, neat little buildings there to accommodate the troops. Because you have to remember, uh, overall from 1863 to 1865, almost 11,000 black troops trained there for the Civil War. Were there black troops training other places before that, or was this a new idea? You know, actually, there were black troops training in other places. So uh, black troops, we know, uh, were in the New Orleans area, uh, Washington, D.C. area, um, and other places, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, we know that in Massachusetts, the 54th uh, had already been organized. But there's one great distinction that you have to make a lot of the original black regiments were actually state-sponsored. So Camp William Penn uh, is pretty unique because uh, in May of 1863, uh, that division of Bureau of the Colored Troops was founded under uh, Abraham Lincoln's, of course, direction. Where did they get the troops? Well, the troops came from all over. A lot of them came from the Pennsylvania region. Some of them came from New Jersey. But in my research, I found out that uh, they could have come as far away as Africa to uh, parts of the Caribbean, uh, Canada. There were even a couple from out west. So. Uh, they sort of converged onto Camp William Penn. Most striking also is that a number of them uh, were actually escaped slaves. So that means that they came from southern uh, territory. Was this before or after the Emancipation Proclamation that they started the camp? This was after the Emancipation Proclamation. So uh, if you think about uh, the summer of 1863 in the spring of 1863. The camp is being organized. Uh, they really start coming in uh, during the summer. The first group to get in would be the third USCT of Camp William Penn. And uh, incredibly, about the time that Frederick Douglass appears at the camp, uh, we believe that uh, initially he may have been there on July 4th, 1863, and then either again on July 18th or July 24th. So at basically, uh, at the, just about the very time that Frederick Douglass was addressing the third USCT, the battle at Fort Wagner uh, was actually happening on Morris Island in South Carolina. So Frederick Douglass actually had a couple of his sons participate in that particular battle, which of course was immortalized by uh, the motion picture glory. 
No, uh, was it controversial to s set up separate units? Oh, first of all, USCT mm -hmm. stands for what? United States Colored Troops. And was it controversial that, that, that these units be established? Yeah, absolutely. It was very controversial. Uh, even if you uh, look at Abraham Lincoln and uh, his particular views regarding the establishment of the USCT, at first he was not uh, so up on the idea uh, because uh, one thing that Lincoln admitted, he was more interested in preserving the Union at first. So initially Abraham Lincoln uh, was not really up on the idea of having black troops. Uh, he did receive pressure from African Americans and uh, other uh, abolitionists who were white uh, such as Lucretia Mott, uh, who had a, an estate right in that area. Incidentally, that entire community, uh, Lamott, is named after Lucretia Mott, who is the famous uh, women's rights advocate and who also fought for the rights of African American, African Americans. So her, her house is just adjacent uh, to where Camp William Penn was. The house is no longer there. I want to read this one uh, mm -hmm. paragraph you wrote. There, there were some elements of the black leadership who believed that African Americans should not rush to the aid of the Union. Angered by Lincoln's hesitancy to implement the Emancipation Proclamation, mm -hmm. the president's initial vacillation with recruiting black soldiers, and the poor treatment that blacks received generally. So it wasn't universally uh, accepted among the African American community that this was That's true. Thing. That's very true. Uh, part of the African American community felt that if blacks were being discriminated against and held in chains that uh, they should not rush to defend the Union. In fact, one of Frederick Douglass's most uh, well-known speeches is about that particular issue, should African Americans uh, participate uh, in Fourth of July celebrations. Now that was uh, probably 10, 12 years earlier than uh, the, the eruption of the Civil War, but uh, that argument persisted even as the Civil War erupted and during the Civil War. Was it the idea of, of uh, black troops in the Army controversial in the Army? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there were some commanders who were actually uh, totally for uh, blacks in terms of uh, bringing them in to fight. Uh, other commanders just abhorred it, even the thought of it, uh, because the idea of African Americans actually uh, holding weapons, black men, uh, was really a revolutionary thought. Uh, so people were pretty nervous, uh, meaning the general population or the white population, Many of them were very nervous about uh, black men holding arms. Whose idea was it in the first place? Probably the idea, uh, if, if we were to point at one person primarily, uh, might be Frederick Douglass, uh, but there were others who uh, also advocated uh, that William Lloyd Garrison uh, was one. Lucretia Mott, who's probably the most powerful uh, local abolitionists uh, in the Sheltonham area. 
um, did not advocate the violence. She was a Quaker. Yes, she was a Quaker, right. But she did believe that blacks uh, had the right to defend themselves. Did Frederick Douglass go out and actively recruit? Yeah, in, in fact, uh, Frederick Douglass was a paid recruiter. So a lot of people don't know he actually uh, was paid to recruit soldiers. Uh, he did it in the Massachusetts area. Uh, he also uh, did it in the Philadelphia area. So he did actually recruit some soldiers for the third uh, and probably the sixth and the eighth USCTs, the first units to leave Camp William Penn. So if you were a young black American at the time living in the north, living in the Philadelphia area, why would you have signed up? That's a, that's a very good question. And, and one uh, primary reason is this, if you think about the dynamics of that period. So imagine uh, the summer of 1863, we're getting into July, uh, Camp William Penn is already uh, getting established with the help of funds from the Union League of Philadelphia. By the way, uh, uh, the Union League, uh, one of the primary members was a gentleman named Edward M. Davis, who was the son-in-law of Lucretia Mott. About that time, in early July, you have the Battle of Gettysburg. And of course, that battle is precipitated by the Confederate Army moving into Pennsylvania. And as they're moving into Pennsylvania, they're actually taking people, black people, into slavery. Uh, they're killing others. Uh, the Pennsylvania countryside is basically in upheaval. Many of the blacks are just motivated to come into places like Camp William Penn and join Union forces. Now, some of them uh, earlier on actually traveled to Massachusetts and joined the Massachusetts 54th and 55th. So there are estimates that up to 1,500 uh, black men traveled to Massachusetts to join that unit. Did, did people who were recruited, did they generally get in it because of, it was a good cause or was it a job? They generally, black people realize, and uh, with the urging of people like uh, Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison, that uh, liberation for African Americans could be at hand if they fought valiantly in that particular war. So there was that definite connection of serve the United States of America, prove your worth, tell the world and show the world that you are actually equal to European Americans and fight with valor, and that might lead to liberation. Of course, it did not lead to complete liberation as we know. So you're the, the, the young soldier and you sign your name and you walk in the front gate. What, what's your mm -hmm. life like? The life at Camp William Penn probably was very interesting from the standpoint of view that it brought together black men from different parts of the country, from uh, different parts of the world. Uh, so uh, they had to homogenize. Uh, there's indications that they were very unified. Um, 
even though some came from different cultures. So you had some who grew right. up free in the North and some who exactly. grew up as slaves. Right. So you had some uh, who might even, uh, to some degree, was middle class. There weren't a lot of them, but uh, because most of the blacks, of course, were um, poor and uh, many of them were ex-slaves. Uh, but there was unity through religion, uh, unity uh, through uh, s certain uh, social classes, um, and unity at knowing that what they did uh, during that war would impact uh, the future liberation of their people. What kind of training did they get? The training generally was pretty good, but there were instances uh, and reports that uh, certain regiments did not receive uh, quite the quality uh, training that they should have. Uh, one remarkable example would be the 8th USCT at of Camp William Penn. They were the third uh, regiment to leave Camp William Penn. They ended up in northern Florida in the swamps of a lusty Florida. They were in a pretty uh, tough position when they were surrounded by uh, Confederate troops who were very hardened. So these guys from the 8th had uh, just uh, reached their destination. Uh, they were basically fresh to battle and all of a sudden they find themselves in the middle of Florida swamps uh, surrounded by uh, very experienced Confederate troops, I believe, who were from Texas. So they really took a uh, beating. Uh, indications are that many of them died uh, running towards the enemy, um, but essentially many of them died and many of them were captured and sent to places like Andersonville uh, Prison uh, where they really suffered. Now remember, many blacks were actually executed even before they were taken prisoner. So the question is, um, would it have been better for them uh, to die on the battlefield or actually languish and suffer in places like Andersonville where even white Union soldiers uh, faced an uphill battle to survive. Were any of the black POWs in the South taken into slavery as opposed to taken to a POW camp? Oh, I'm sure they were. Yes, I'm sure they were. Um, there were some blacks uh, taken straight back to uh, slavery. And there's stories of that with the invasion of the Confederates in the Pennsylvania countryside. Uh, so, uh, certainly. And that did not only happen to uh, African-American males, but it, ha it happened to African-American uh, females and children also. Was it the goal of the Army to train these soldiers in the same skills as they were training white units? I would say this, that uh, probably with most of the uh, Union commanders, that was the objective. Uh, and looking at the screening process of the uh, white uh, commanders, because we have to remember, uh, I believe, uh, ranks lieutenant and above, uh, they were held by uh, white uh, officers. Uh, the screening process for them uh, at 1210 Chestnut Street 
which was the uh, headquarters for recruitment, uh, was pretty stringent. Uh, and from my reading and research, uh, I understand that most of the people who applied were not accepted. So there, there, there seemed to be some sensitivity to uh, how an officer felt about race, uh, the potential of African Americans, and that type of thing. However, there were more than a few instances in which black uh, troops complained about their treatment by officers and also medical personnel. What skills specifically were they trained in? Well, they, they were trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, there was, uh, of course, shooting um, and um, target practice. Uh, there, uh, of course, were drilled uh, repeatedly uh, with marching um, and um, being able to uh, do physical labor. Now, as we uh, look at that uh, aspect of physical labor, regretfully and initially, many of the black troops were used primarily for uh, physical labor. So that aspect of uh, glory uh, is uh, actually accurate. Uh, so oftentimes, even though uh, these troops uh, were trained quite well, uh, they had to actually uh, maneuver uh, sometimes in order to face combat. Uh, but eventually, of course, they did. Uh, one thing to remember is that at the point that Abraham Lincoln agrees to allow black troops to fight, uh, he actually needed them because the Union Army uh, had uh, lost a series of battles. Uh, it looked like for a while that the Confederate uh, side was going to win the war. And at that moment, uh, along with uh, pressure from uh, various uh, abolitionists and politicians, Abraham Lincoln decides to let them in. So that, that was very important. How many troops would have been in camp being trained at any one time? Uh, that varied. Let's say uh, some of the units consisted of about 1,000 soldiers. Some of the units, about 700. Uh, so at any given time, uh, let's say over a several-month period, uh, there could have been up to 2,000, or there may have been about 1,200. So it depends on uh, when a particular unit left uh, Camp Winnipeg and if they were stationed, um, uh, if they if that uh, overlap. Uh, if that overlapped with the previous uh, group. Was there much mingling with the community? Were the soldiers allowed to go into Philadelphia to visit, or were people allowed to come into the Yeah, campus? there is some indication that the, that the soldiers uh, were able to get out. Of course, that was strictly regulated. Uh, at times, it seemed that it may have gotten out of hand, uh, because as you read uh, some of the letters and documents, uh, there's indications that the officers started to clamp down uh, on leave time and that type of thing. Uh, that had a lot to do with the uh, uh, racial attitude in Philadelphia or more precisely uh, racial incidents uh, because there were episodes when the black troops 
would go into certain parts of Philadelphia that they were actually physically accosted. Uh, so there are, there are a couple of uh, incidents regarding that. Uh, they had to travel on segregated uh, transportation. Uh, often blacks, uh, whether they were soldiers or not, had to ride in between cars of the train, train cars, uh, or what might be considered trolleys. Uh, so there was still a lot of segregation uh, that they uh, had to fight against. One episode uh, that's pretty striking with respect to this topic uh, is that uh, one day a group of white uh, neighbor, uh, neighbors uh, living next to Camp William Penn uh, were coming home from some event. Uh, there was a black uh, sentry on duty. There was somehow an exchange of words. The black sentry asked that uh, the uh, white uh, neighbor move forward and just leave. He refused to leave. And there were some more words exchanged and then uh, the white, the black soldier shot uh, the white neighbor. Uh, he was uh, charged, actually charged. Uh, he was put in jail uh, in Norristown for a short period of time. Uh, incredibly, and, and this tells you a lot about the commander of Camp William Penn, Lewis Wagner, he came to the soldier's defense. So the soldier, although he did serve time, Eventually, he ends back up with his unit. So we know that uh, Wagner was able to uh, use his influence to help this soldier. Tell me about Lewis Wagner. Who was he? Yeah, Lewis Wagner is the commander of the camp, and I believe when he took over, he was in his early to mid-20s. Uh, he had been wounded at the uh, Second uh, Battle of uh, Bull Run. His leg was actually, one of his shins was actually shattered. He had participated in a number of battles before that, so he was more or less a hardened uh, Union uh, commander. At first he has the rank of major, then he moves on to colonel and then general. So uh, he ends up being injured. Uh, he is swapped. He's actually swapped uh, on the field. Uh, with uh, Union and Confederate soldiers uh, being swapped. Uh, and soon after, uh, he learns about the establishment of Camp William Penn, and he actually volunteers to command Camp William Penn. Now, he is of German ancestry, so he migrated to the Philadelphia area uh, with his uh, people, uh, parents, uh, when he was quite young. Uh, the Germans, uh, very interestingly, uh, have a great uh, presence in the Germantown area. Of course, that's how you get the neighborhood Makes Germantown, <laughs> right? And uh, they are pretty well known for being abolitionists. So some of the very early Germans in uh, Germantown, going back to 1688, participated in the first... Uh, official protest against slavery in America. 
So if you think about that tradition and sort of the roots that uh, Colonel Wagner or Commander Wagner uh, came from, then it sort of adds up uh, in terms of, of his feeling towards blacks. Remember also he was a member of the Union League along with Edward M. Davis. And that's the same Union League that is on yes, South Broad Street in yes, Philadelphia. Yes, exactly. Right. And the Union League uh, in uh, Philadelphia was founded along with a number of other Union Leagues to support the policies of Abraham Lincoln. Well, for the other officers at the camp, they were all white? Yes, above the uh, rank of uh, sergeant. How were they selected? Did they volunteer for that or were they given that? Uh, they basically volunteered. So they volunteered. Uh, they went through the uh, screening process uh, at the headquarters at 1210 uh, Chestnut Street. Um, and uh, that uh, process was very uh, stringent. Um, some of them uh, did bond very well with the uh, black recruits. Uh, a few of them did not. Uh, so there's really uh, an incredible uh, love-hate relationship going on with some of them. Uh, one thing to bring out as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, one particular incident uh, probably uh, epitomizes what I'm talking about. And that is uh, near the end of the war, or at the end of the war, the 3rd Regiment, uh, which is the first unit to leave Camp William Penn, actually uh, ends up in Florida. The war has ended. There is some sort of uh, disturbance at the camp based on one of the black 3rd Regiment soldiers essentially being tortured by white officers. This particular soldier was accused, I believe, of stealing something, some morsel of food or something along that line. He was actually hung up by his thumbs by those officers and left basically in the middle of the camp for a period of time. His fellow black uh, recruits uh, put up with it for a period of time and after a while they couldn't take it any longer. They, they saw uh, their compatriot uh, in obvious uh, agony and so they began to speak up. An argument ensued between uh, some of those men and the white officers and believe it or not a shootout occurred. So there was actually a battle, a gun battle. One of the white officers uh, was uh, severely hurt. Eventually the uh, disturbance was quelled and uh, the people involved, meaning the black uh, soldiers, were court-martialed. And wh uh, what we believe was record time. It was a very quick time. I think the entire trial lasted about 33 days. About six or seven of them were ultimately executed. Uh, the other six or so were imprisoned for periods of time in prison. From what we've uh, learned of the investigation, uh, several of the black soldiers were actually railroaded. Uh, they were, they actually were trying to break up the fight, but uh, were accused of participating. 
uh, and um, they were shot uh, for mutiny. And it's, it's one of the last times uh, that uh, s soldiers were executed for such a reason. I want to read something else in here. You, mm -hmm. you, you write, uh, you're quoting someone else in here, that desertion by the recruits persisted as the most serious problem in the camp. Numbers of men deserted, either leaving Army life entirely or re-enlisting at another location to collect a bounty. One unfortunate deserter from the camp traveled to Delaware, enlisted as a substitute, collected his money, and much to his chagrin and surprise, found himself returned to William Penn for training, his bounty money still in his pocket. Well, right, that's true. Uh, there, and there, there were instances uh, such as that. Uh, there's uh, another episode in the book uh, uh, involving uh, a gentleman who is actually um, deserts. Uh, he's caught, and his wife and child actually come, arrive at the camp about the same time to visit him when he's returned. So there's this very moving scene uh, of, the, of the wife and the child uh, crying and trying to follow him as he's uh, taken to the brig. Uh, by far, though, um, uh, that sort of thing was not um, uh, a terrible problem with the African-American troops. Um, most of them uh, were courageous and uh, um, operated within the system. Uh, but um, there were some African-Americans who were very, still very angry about uh, being um, uh, hurt uh, physically and mentally during slavery. Uh, so we know that uh, some of the African Americans did not like uh, authority, especially if uh, that authority proved to be abusive. And that's, I think, one of the unknown stories of the Civil War. And, and it's something that I try to bring out in the book. Uh, previously, uh, in history books, uh, many of us have read that blacks were basically uh, docile. Um, uh, there were very few times uh, or very few rebellions. Uh, but what we're learning through uh, research in recent years is that it was anything but that. In fact, some historians believe that a number of uh, black rebellions around the country actually led to sparking the Civil War. The soldiers at Camp William Penn, although uh, most of them very courageous and uh, willing to serve the country and die for the country, and even die without the promise that they themselves would uh, be freed afterwards, uh, they uh, still uh, fought with the, with their, the, with the eye on the prize, so to speak. Did you find many letters or diaries from the soldiers, and when you were putting this book together? Yeah, and those were very important. Many of uh, that documentation came from the National Archives, uh, locally in Philadelphia, and in Washington D.C. Uh, so there's these very moving stories that we uh, received from pension records and other records. Uh, they're very moving because in most cases uh, the black soldier is having a lot of trouble getting a pension even though they fought in, uh, with a particular unit. 
uh, out of Camp William Penn. Um, in these letters, they actually have to describe what they did during the battle, uh, relationships in terms of friends, and that type of thing. So then we're able to get uh, some pretty good detail concerning battles, experiences, and that type of thing. So I relied on that a lot. And the language of the soldiers, uh, when possible in the book, uh, I referred to or pointed out uh, because that, I, that was very important. Also very important was the, uh, were publications such as the Christian Recorder published by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And uh, that was uh, published uh, well before the Civil War. Uh, at certain points it was out of publication. And uh, just as an a important uh, background, the AME Church was um, founded uh, by uh, Richard Allen uh, during the uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. In Philadelphia. Yes, in Philadelphia. Uh, so he was actually at one point a slave, a teenage slave who uh, was owned by Benjamin Chu uh, within the state in Philadelphia. And of course, Benjamin Chu uh, was a pretty famous lawyer and then jurist. Uh, at one point, I think he actually uh, was the head of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So he owns the Richard Allen family. Allen, early on, realizes that he has these great oratory uh, skills and that uh, uh, he has this thirst for uh, religion. And in fact, he is a very uh, religious person uh, and develops the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which today is an international uh, denomination. Could yeah. you tell from the letters or diaries or anything you've read whether the, the black soldiers liked being in the army? I think they were proud of being in the army. Most of them were proud uh, of, of serving uh, the country. They realized that, uh, that their service was so incredibly important, not only for the future of their race, but most of them realized how important it was to preserve the Union. Because even though um, they did not benefit from uh, the ideals of America, uh, they realized that if they could force America to live up to the ideals of the Declaration of Independence and so on, that they would, uh, the country would be better, they would be better, and uh, America would be living up to its word. One of the things that I try to bring out in the book is this. I thought it was essential to start the book off with uh, the Revolutionary War and show how the Revolutionary War was connected to the outbreak of the Civil War. And that was ideal from the standpoint of view that in Africa, uh, in the mid-1700s, a young boy was captured by slave catchers in what we believe was Guinea. He, he is taken from Guinea to Connecticut and uh, actually is a slave. Years later, the Revolutionary War breaks out. 
he agrees to replace his so-called master in return for freedom after he serves for his master in Connecticut. So he serves valiantly. Uh, he actually is injured uh, to the degree that after the war he goes blind. His name, his American name is Gad Asher. He eventually uh, returns from the war and he approaches his so-called master for his freedom and his master actually reneges. So he must work for that master a number of years, 10 to 15 years more. So what I'm getting at is this, he eventually has children. One of his sons uh, has a child and that child's name is Jeremiah Asher. Jeremiah Asher grows up to uh, greatly respect his grandfather and also uh, he uh, takes on his grandfather's great religious zeal. Jeremiah Asher becomes the pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Philadelphia after serving at a number of other locations. When the Civil War breaks out, well, let me go a little before that. Right before the Civil War breaks out, John Brown is executed. He, hold, he actually holds pretty big vigils at his particular church, uh, which today is in South Philadelphia. So there are vigils for John Brown. He soon joins the six United States Colored Troops out of Camp William Penn. The six United States Colored Troops is one of the most active units. Uh, three of them won the Medal of Honor at the Battle of New Market Heights. I believe it's in September of 1864. Uh, so um, they're, they're, they're very uh, um, combat uh, successful. He ends up, Jeremiah Asher ends up in North, yes, North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, at the end of the war, and uh, he actually dies of disease. So what I did with the book is start with the story of Jeremiah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Gad Asher, the grandfather, uh, introduce people to the concept of the Revolutionary War and the fact that slavery was not um, settled during that war, which led to the eruption of the Civil War uh, 80 or so years later. And then I end the book with uh, Jeremiah Asher's uh, body uh, being transported to uh, Philadelphia, but then I go on and tell uh, what happens to the rest of his family, to the church, and how that connects to that incredible episode in history of the Civil War in Camp William Penn. And in between the front and back of the parts of the book, you have chapters on a lot of the different units that, that trained yes. there. And you mentioned the third was the first one to train? Yep, the third was the first one trained, uh, and they primarily served in uh, Florida, uh, saw a, a lot of action there. Uh, the six uh, was the next uh, train there, and they saw a lot of action uh, in uh, Virginia. Uh, one of the very interesting regiments uh, out of Camp William Penn also was the 43rd uh, USCT. Uh, and they actually, one of the incredible highlights was the 
uh, battle of the minds uh, outside of uh, Petersburg. Uh, and that was an a very incredible episode because uh, Union forces uh, were convinced that if they uh, were to plant a huge amount of explosives under a Confederate stronghold, uh, that they could completely destroy uh, th that particular fort uh, and make great advancements in the uh, battle. In fact, they did manage to explode that particular camp, but there's one problem. Even though they killed many of the Confederates, some of the Confederates were able, many of them were able to scatter. And as the Union tr troops moved in around the perimeter of that crater, they were surrounded again by the Confederate troops. So you have these black troops from the 43rd and other uh, USCT units uh, ending up back in that crater. So they're pushed into the crater with the very, very uh, Confederates that they uh, killed. Uh, they're actually uh, massacred. And the really sad thing about that episode is some of the uh, there's evidence that some of the Union officers who were afraid of being uh, caught uh, fighting side by side with black soldiers, uh, those uh, Union officers actually uh, turned their weapons on the black soldiers. So there were times when uh, white soldiers and black soldiers fought side by side for the Union? Yes, absolutely. Right. And one uh, one great example is when uh, the Medal of Honor was uh, won by uh, three uh, of the people from the 6th USCT, uh, Alexander uh, Kelly, uh, Edwin Hawkins, and uh, Lieutenant Edgerton. And so uh, Edgerton uh, was a white lieutenant. Uh, the three of them uh, saved the uh, flag uh, that day. Uh, and it's under tremendous fire. Uh, and in fact, the Union League has a, a very uh, important uh, image of that uh, now that was recently uh, hung depicting that uh, episode. Uh, so yes, they did uh, fight side by side, especially uh, the white officers with, the, uh, with their black uh, men. I want to back up. The, you, you mentioned the sixth uh, U.S. colored troops. Mm -hmm. And the, the word colored, was that considered an insult at the time? Well, actually, that was an acceptable term, more or less, uh, then. And I, as we know, uh, uh, during the uh, civil rights movement, the initial part of the civil rights movement, uh, black people were referred to as colored. And uh, more than a few referred to themselves as colored. Uh, so, so it was acceptable, but uh, we have to remember that uh, Richard Allen named his church the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, there were, I think, a couple of other denominations where they did use uh, colored uh, for uh, the church name. But obviously, Richard Allen was very proud of that African label. You say that the 6th was the first of the units, units to fully parade through Philadelphia streets. Yes. Was that, why was that notable? 
Well, that was notable because the 3rd Regiment uh, out of Camp William Penn was not permitted uh, to parade for fear that that might cause riots. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, once again, many white people were very nervous about the spectacle of black men carrying weapons. So the mayor and uh, other politicians locally uh, thought that that would be uh, too incendiary. And so uh, they stopped the third from doing that. And the men were very upset. Uh, so uh, from reports in the Christian Recorder and letters that we've uh, read, uh, they were extremely upset about that, the third regiment. However, by the time the sixth uh, is ready to march off the war, um, Lewis Wagner obviously is able to uh, once again uh, get things done. Um, he's, he's able with other people uh, to make sure that those soldiers are able to march. Uh, and it's probably one of the most beautiful moments uh, of that period when those soldiers are mar marching actually uh, down Chestnut Street uh, towards the river. Uh, and the, there's this beautiful description uh, of their weapons glittering in the sunlight and uh, how the crowd alongside is uh, really enthusiastic. Uh, there are some people, however, in the crowd who are very happy about the uh, prospect of blacks uh, going to war for the Union. So uh, there are little side stories about uh, some of the terrible things they had to say. Uh, but generally, uh, the crowd was uh, seemed to be uh, in favor. As the war unfolded, or toward the end of the war, were, were the doubters about whether there should be black units, were they persuaded, or did they, there continue to be doubts whether this was a good idea? There, there continued to be doubts. However, uh, by and large, much, much of the country uh, realized that black men uh, were great warriors, um, that they would die uh, in the heat of battle. Uh, there, are, there are more than a few instances where the white commanders actually commend the black soldiers for being more disciplined than white troops. So it's, uh, uh, I think it was a great episode uh, overall with the 180,000 uh, Union uh, soldiers who served in uh, about 30 or 40,000 uh, in the U.S. Navy. Um, that point was well made that uh, um, they would be acceptable warriors. Now we know through history that there were still a lot of uh, racial hurdles to overcome, even with respect to the armed forces. And as I'm speaking, um, I'm thinking of my own father-in-law, uh, who was the first African-American to graduate from the United States Naval Academy, Wesley A. Brown. In fact, I have one of his alumni buttons on right now. Uh, he died a couple of years ago. However, uh, before he died, uh, the uh, uh, Navy uh, built a $54 million building uh, at the Naval Academy in his honor, uh, Fieldhouse. Uh, but out of uh, five uh, blacks, there were five previous blacks 
who tried to graduate from the Naval Academy. He was the first one to graduate in 1949. One of his classmates was uh, um, President Jimmy Carter. So, uh, and then an another important thing about that is he actually uh, was in the Army first, uh, sort of like an ROTC program uh, before joining the Navy. And if I read this correctly, the the is it with the 127th, which trained at Camp William Penn, was at Appomattox at yes, the end of the war. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and there were a couple of other units uh, at Appomattox also uh, from Camp William Penn. Uh, those units just before um, arriving there uh, had actually uh, helped to corner uh, Robert E. Lee, right? So. Uh, they get to Appomattox, there's some good letters and uh, other documentation uh, that record their reactions and their observations. Um, so that was a very great moment uh, for many of them. Uh, after uh, President Lincoln is assassinated, uh, some of the uh, troops from Camp William Penn actually participate in cornering uh, the assassins of of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so uh, some of them led the uh, funeral procession uh, also, and some of them participated in his inaugural parade. Did, did any uh, uh, of the soldiers you researched go on to distinguished careers after the Army? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, and that's another incredible aspect of the book. Uh, one very important uh, soldier was a gentleman named Josiah Walls. So Josiah Walls, uh, initially, uh, he is a slave, right, in Virginia. He is uh, probably forced to serve uh, his owner uh, in the war as a Confederate. So imagine being a slave and having to serve uh, your owner uh, in, the, in the war. So he did that. But eventually, somehow, he ends up in Union hands, and he's taken to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He ends up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we believe that he receives the, the equivalent of what is a one-year education. About that time, the third USCT is being formed at Camp William Penn, and that's the summer of uh, 1863. He ends up at Camp William Penn. He trains with the third. Uh, he, he ends up in Florida after a number of battles. Uh, he is uh, actually hurt uh, in battle uh, because we know he suffered from wounds that uh, bothered him the rest of his life. He ends up in Florida. Uh, eventually, he joins, I believe, the 35th uh, USCT. After the war, and here's the remarkable uh, aspect of this story, uh, he rises to become a prominent business person. Then he grows in local politics, and he eventually moves on to the U.S. Congress representing Florida. So he broke a number of new uh, areas uh, uh, as a congressman, uh, U.S. congressman. You say in your book he eventually, eventually became one of the richest landowners and farmers in Florida. Yep, absolutely. 
And uh, from what we understand, he actually bought uh, the plantation of a Confederate general, ex-Confederate general. Meanwhile, uh, he purchases a newspaper uh, called the Gainesville Era, I believe, and uh, he hires a couple of his former commanders as editors. Did, uh, did the Army keep any of the colored troops together as units after the war was over? Yeah, they did. Many of the troops, ended, including those from Camp William Penn, uh, ended up in the West. Right, so a lot of them um, uh, actually um, end up there, uh, and remarkably, some of them end up with the Buffalo Soldier units. Uh, there weren't many of them who did, but uh, some of them did, and so did some of the officers. Uh, so that was a very interesting aspect. Now, th that their assignment out west is kind of controversial. Some scholars believe that they were sent out west so that it could be uh, eventually disarmed and then brought back to society uh, without being a huge threat. Of course, other scholars say that is uh, probably not totally true or uh, a myth, um, but uh, it's still worth noting that many of those black regiments, uh, not only at Camp William Penn, uh, were sent uh, out west, uh, and then uh, after they left the service or soon uh, to leave the service, uh, they were brought back uh, to this particular area. We're just about out of time, but when did they close Camp William Penn? Uh, they closed Camp William Penn uh, at the end of 1865. Uh, some of the uh, structure, we believe, was used for uh, houses that actually exist in the neighborhood of Lamont today. Is there a historical marker there? Yeah, there are a couple of historical markers, and uh, there uh, we have refurbished gates uh, put up by that uh, community group Kroll. Uh, there is a marker uh, outside of the community center, uh, which is granite, and it gives a great uh, tribute uh, to the troops. But we're on a mission uh, in the neighborhood and uh, other historians to uh, get much more to commemorate those uh, great soldiers. So we would like eventually to have a museum, a visitor center, uh, and uh, a lot more. That's going to have to be the last word. We are out of time. We've been speaking right, with Donald you. Scott. He is the author of this book, Camp William Penn, 1863 to 1865. Thank you very All right, much. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. We'd like to hear from you. Our email address is pabooks at pcntv.com. Like us on Facebook to learn more about PA Books.